chapter 1, verse 8. I'll also read Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And then uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I would like to uh, read some out of that as well. Praise God. Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 8. Someone asked me earlier today if if these kind of things make make me nervous. I said they always do. <laughs> I have never gotten over the fact that every time that I stand in a pulpit that somebody could be saved or lost. And that is an awesome responsibility. And especially at a meeting like this tonight, there is destiny that hangs in the air. And it's very possible that God could use this service tonight and the services in the remaining part of this week that would shape and affect destiny until the Lord comes and raptures His bride out of here. Amen. I don't believe we have long. I believe that we are in the last of the last days. Praise God. That's why I want to get everything I can out of the Word of God and out of the service I want God to help us. Exodus 1 and verse number 8. These are very familiar to those of you that stand here tonight, but allow me the privilege and the liberty to read them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Jude chapter 1, verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then from there to Second Timothy chapter 4, I want to begin reading with verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I want to talk to you a little while tonight on something that's burning in my heart on this subject. Looking beyond the present. Looking beyond the present. If you would please lift your hands and your voices to the Lord. Let's ask God to anoint this congregation. To anoint the man of God and the word of Lord. So we can hear what heaven would have to say. God we need you to help us tonight. Lord God we are feeble clay. God we do not know much. But Lord if you'll help us. And anoint our minds and let us say what you'd want us to say. We would be eternally grateful. Anoint the ears of the hearers of this congregation. Anoint my lips and my tongue and my mind. And let me speak and say what you'd have me to say. Let the Holy Ghost breathe on this congregation tonight in Jesus' name. We certainly need you to help us. And God, without your help, we can do nothing. Absolutely and positively nothing. But Lord, we ask you to help us in Jesus' name. And Lord, for all of that, we give you all of the credit, all of the glory, all of the honor. 
in Jesus' name. Let's praise His name right now. Let's worship the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I realize that on the beginning night of this conference that there is perhaps maybe some sort of a, of a beginning chapter that has to begin, some sort of cover sheet, perhaps maybe some sort of an uh, introduction or a preface, and uh, perhaps maybe after we get through tonight, then these great men of God can come following behind and, and finish up the good book and do a great work. And I'm certain and I'm confident that they will. I am desiring tonight to see something in God like I have never seen before. And I don't believe that the days of God's good church and God's good power is over with. Even though we live in the last days, we live in the most powerful, potentially powerful church age that has ever existed. I believe that. I am not just saying that to stir up an emotional response. But I am saying that because I believe that in this last hour we have got to have something to match the pressures of this age. This is one of the most evil generations that we have ever seen on the face of this earth. Now I know there's always been evil. And I realize there's always been sin. And there's always been iniquity that has run rampant in the streets of cities. And in the villages, in the hamlets, and out in the, out in the groves and dales of all kinds of communities and civilization. But I believe that there has been demons unleashed in this last hour. That God is going to give His church the authority over. And if you don't believe we're in a spiritual warfare, you need to get your head out of the sand. You can't do it without God's anointing. We are not smart enough. We are not talented enough. We are not rich enough. We've got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. Or we will be marked down as just another generation of religious fanatics. I don't deny that we are fanatics. We are sold out on one thing. Amen. Everybody said, praise the Lord. I believe it was Winston Churchill that made the statement, a fanatic is a man that will not change his mind and will not change the subject. You can be seated. And we are of that philosophy tonight. We have one thing on our mind, and that is to have a one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, Holy Ghost revival. Anything less than that, we don't have time to negotiate about. We've got to see the move of the Holy Ghost. People receiving the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. And so we have understood tonight. I am not of the persuasion that, that all of this is dead and dying. I don't believe that. I believe that God already has a church in the grave. And I believe that He is raising up folks that are going to believe this message. Every particle of it. The repentance message. The baptism in Jesus' name by immersion message. The Holy Ghost speaking in tongues message. The holiness message. 
I believe God's going to raise up people that will die for this truth. Because if you don't have a truth you'll die for, it ain't worth living for. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God. Praise God. I love you, Jesus. Glory to God. You may be seated. The thing that's eating me, and it's not because I'm an old man, even though I am graying young, and uh, the next exit in my life's journey says 50. So I'm not 50 yet. I'm probably the youngest of the speakers this week. And I am not saying that in any sort of way, but just for your information. <laughs> so I have a lot to learn. I'm a young man. And uh, I just like Elder Mike Phillips always said, I've been rode hard and put up wet too many times. But what I am looking at now, I am wondering, what will, who will pass this message to the next generation? What if the Lord tarries? another few years what is this movement going to look like what is it going to stand for what is it going to embrace what is going to be the important factors concerning the next generation it should be more than styles and fashion it should be more than entertainment we need to get back to the basics we need to get right back down to praying, fasting, loving the Word of God, preaching the Word of God. Praise God. Amen. I want to look beyond this present generation. You may be seated. It seems like that every time we turn around, there's someone that is sacrificing some sort of religious tenet on the altars of moderation or on the altars of success. Or on the uh, altars of, of, uh, of growth or evangelism. Now, I believe that we ought to reach our world. I believe that we ought to preach the gospel. Amen. But the Lord did not tell us that we had to go out and make a church be born. He said preach the gospel to every creature. The results is up to Him. And when you try to help a baby be born, you just might have a stillborn. Praise God. Are you still following me now? We still believe in knocking doors and passing out tracks, running the bus ministry. Amen. Be seated. I already hit a snag right there. I've heard people call it a Babylonian chariot. I've heard people call it all kinds of things. But I thank God for somebody that went by and picked up my wife and took her to Sunday school or she wouldn't have the Holy Ghost tonight. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law wouldn't have the Holy Ghost. And there wouldn't be a church in Millinocket tonight had it not been for somebody that picked up a child and took them to church. And I could go on and on and on and on from that one man turning his station wagon, picking up children that mom and dad was too drunk to take them to church. You may be seated. I believe in running bus routes. I believe in loving these children. We've had children come to our Sunday school that have rode the bus that their mom and dad have left them for hours on end. 
three-year-olds tending to 18-month babies while they go running and doing their thing. If the world is ever going to be reached, it's got to be reached by somebody that loves them and loves God. But you don't let go of the anchor to reach somebody that's drowning. Praise God. Now, I guess I want to just clarify all this and, 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 and get this out and going because I've got a, a little way to go tonight. And I'm not here to impress you. I'm just here to unburden my heart. Amen. But like Sister Bowling was singing, that has rolled over in my mind, except the Lord build the house. I can't build this church. I can't make my church grow. All I can do is sow the seed. But God has to make it rain. I'm preaching to pastors here tonight. You have done everything possible and you're wondering why is this not growing? It's up in the hands of God. Everybody can do whatever they want to do, but when I stand back and I stand before God in that great day of judgment, I'm going to have to say I did everything I could to fulfill the great commission. But when it come for the church to be full and people to get the Holy Ghost, that was God's job. I'm not going to teach them to talk in tongues. I'm not going to bypass the altar of repentance. And I'm not going to baptize them when they're still living in sin. Praise God. Praise God. Some of you are going to make it hard for me tonight, but that's all right. I'll just pray. I'll plow right on through it. Because this is an apostolic doctrine and holiness conference. You're waiting on me to name standards, but I'm going to preach doctrine tonight. I may get around to standards, but I'm going to preach doctrine tonight. It's still one God. The Trinitarians are not our brothers. They're not our half-brothers. They are birthed with a spirit of error. Amen. Praise God. Still baptism in Jesus' name by immersion. For the remission of sin. Praise God in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you when you get the Holy, you may be seated. When you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's something that takes part of you that changes you from the inside out. And what you used to do, you don't do anymore. And what you didn't do, you start doing. Now that's very elementary. But I want to make sure the next generation has got it. I am not sacrificing this wonderful message on the altar of success just to make somebody think I've got my act together. I've got to look beyond the present. And make sure there's going to be a church when I pass from this life to the next. You may be seated. Now, some of you are going to misread me here, but, you know, you'd probably misread anything. But let me just say it to you this way. It's not my job to worry about how big my church is going to get. It's my job to work to make sure there's a church when I die. See, I told you that wouldn't go over. 
Because a lot of folks say, well, you know, I, I believe God's going to add to the church. I believe in church growth. But that's not my department. I'm in sales. He's in management. He's the one that adds to the church. Hallelujah. It's my job to make sure the young people get it. That they look just like they looked last generation. And they believe next generation what they believe last generation. This generation is the bridge between the past and the future. And that puts us in a very critical position. You may be seated. Because if it gets to the next generation, if it lacks getting there, then the burden is on our shoulder. Amen. Everybody say amen. It's on our shoulder. We can't blame somebody else. We can't say, well, it's just, the, it's just a sign of the times. I'm telling you, there's always been hard times. There's always been rotten tomatoes thrown. There's always been people saying that we were cultish and of the devil. Last generation, they said speaking of tongues, in tongues was of the devil. But they still preached it anyhow. No time to get political. No time to get political. Some of our church, you may be seated. Some of our church people were sitting in a local restaurant here some time ago. And there were a few members from another local apostolic church group. They had little or no holiness standards. And yet they seemed to look like they had a crowd. My son replied, and I'm just saying this for, uh, not because I'm just proud of him, but I, I'm saying it because I'm glad that he's got a hold of something. He said, Dad, it may look good now, but what would it look like in the next generation? They look like they've got a crowd, and they look like they've got a semblance of Holy Ghost, but what would it look like in the next generation? I'm sick of this baloney saying, folks, well, I'm only going to demand it of my leadership. Then where are you going to get your leaders in the next generation? You know what's happening? There are people now that are getting into the next generation. And they're having to let down everything just to find somebody to teach Sunday school. Because they didn't put it in them when they had the chance to preach the word. You know why I preach heaven hot or hell hot and heaven beautiful? Because of the next generation. You know why I preach Acts 2.38 as absolutely essential? Because of the next generation. Acts 2.38 is the fulfillment of John 3, 3 through 5. You can't be born again of the water and the spirit unless you've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Some people think it's coarse. Whenever we get up in our pulpits, and I say we because I know there are others that do the same, and say it's Holy Ghost or hell. It's Jesus' name, baptism or hell. It's holiness or hell. Said, aren't you being a little narrow-minded? No, no. I'm preaching for the next generation. That's how I got here, and I want to make sure my grandbabies are going to get a good chance at it. I don't want them to have to go to a loose living church where they don't know what, what is right and what's wrong. Praise God. 
Because a little bit goes a long ways. It sets, as they say in the, in the law of jurisprudence, it sets a precedent. It sets a direction. It sets a course. That's why you need to thank God there's still preachers that will get up and preach the message with authority. I'm going to explain that in just a little bit. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I've called our younger men in our church that feel the call to preach and meet with them on a monthly basis and have drilled this and tried to drill this in them. I told them that if you're going to preach the truth, you must preach it with authority. I've heard some folks say, well, you know, I get up and I have a saints meeting and I tell them this. And, you know, I just don't really make a big deal out of it. You know, I tell them what's wrong and I just let them. You know what? You have misrepresented the truth. The truth is not just an idea in the marketplace of ideas. The truth is yes or no. In or out. Heaven or hell. And when you don't preach it that way, you have misrepresented the truth. I'm preaching to the slick compromiser and the man that don't want to offend anybody. When you don't preach it with authority, you are misrepresenting the truth. Praise God. Praise God. Be seated. Be seated. Let me explain that. Praise God. I just lost a little volume. I got to go back and tell everybody all over the world, people in, in Kansas don't know how to run a soundboard. Amen. Let's get this thing right. Let's preach a little while tonight. Praise God. I feel like preaching. And if I can, I'll spit in every devil's eye. And let them know that when this next generation comes, should God tarry, they'll still be running the aisles, still talking in tongues, still living this one God, Jesus' name, apostolic Holy Ghost message. It may cost you something, but it's worth the price. Let's worship the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You're good to us. You're good to us. Praise God. Hallelujah. Be seated. Let me, let me cover a little something here. Let me, let me make a little finer adjustment on something. I heard somebody tell me one time, they said, well, this man really believes the doctrine and the standard, but he just doesn't get up and pound the pulpit like everybody else. He gets up and he teaches them this, and then, you know, he does not enforce it because he doesn't want to be a policeman. And as one man said, I'm not going to be an idiot and preach that way. Well, he has made the truth a philosophy. And when the truth becomes a philosophy, you don't have to do it. Oh, praise God. You need to grit your teeth every time you hear a compromiser. But when you hear a real man of God, open your mouth and preach and say, preach it to me, preacher. Oh, this theology that I preach to you is not multiple choice. It's either in or out. It's heaven or hell. And I made up my mind a long time ago. I want to be saved. 
I don't want to go to hell. I don't want my children to go to hell. I don't want my city to go to hell. I don't want the next generation to go to hell. Praise God. Everybody say praise the Lord. You may be seated. You're not only responsible for what you say, but you're also responsible for what you do not say. Sometimes your silence is more profound than what you say. It's time for the men of God to stand up. And if you believe this gospel, say it. If you believe it's right and wrong, say it. Say, well, I don't know what it will do to my popularity. Forget about your popularity. I'm preaching for the next generation. I'm looking beyond the present. Somebody has got to run on with this baton. Praise God. May be seated. One Japanese proverb said it this way, and I'm just going to quote it. The reputation of a thousand years may be determined by the conduct of one hour. The reputation of a thousand years may be determined by the conduct of one hour. Can I tell you that what goes on in the services this week could may well set up precedent that would shake the very gates of hell. You don't understand how powerful one sermon can be. How powerful one prayer meeting can be. How powerful one revival can be. Because one revival can change an entire city for a whole generation. Praise God. Amen. That's why you may be seated. That's why you do not have time to listen to those who will water down the truth. That will make apologies for their stand. That really won't be give clear cut directions on what they're saying. So that when he sits down, the liberals are happy and the conservatives are happy. Because he really didn't say anything. It's time for the man of God to stand up and declare what thus saith the word of God. Quit worrying about if you're going to preach another conference. Quit worrying about if you're going to get elected to another position. Look for the next generation and preach for the next generation. Praise God. Everybody say amen. amen. Now I'm hurrying on. I've got, more to, I've got more things that I could read and talk about than I've got time. Oh, but I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about the seven churches of Asia. Amen. And, and brethren, be seated here and let me, let me just take a little time and, uh, and talk about that. And when I got to look at that and study about that in my little hours of uh, going through the Word of God and trying to make some study and some analogies, I just began to write down some things. And I entitled those two chapters, The Evolution of Apostasy. Because you see, the, the slope of apostasy started with the Ephesians that lost their first love. They did all the right things, but they didn't have the right zeal backing it up. I wonder how many are here tonight. You still lift your hands and you shout because everybody else does. But it's not in your heart like it used to be when God filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You still got your long sleeves and you don't have jewelry on or painted faces. 
But it's because now it's just become a habit. And you have lost your love for this truth that God gave us. He said, I have somewhat be seated. I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. They lost their zeal. They lost their first love. They became mechanical. You know what I'm seeing, brothers and sisters? Ministering brethren the gospel, you can agree with what I'm saying tonight. I am seeing a, a cold, mechanical situation creeping up in the apostolic movement. And it's scaring me to death. We still shout, but it's not deep anymore. We still pray, but it doesn't bring the tears like it used to. We do the right things, but we lost the dimension of love in this. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord. Help us, Jesus, to receive the word of God. Help us to receive the word of God. Oh, help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Be seated. Be seated. To the Ephesian church, the angel, uh, to the angel of the church at Ephesus was written by the pen of John at the inspiration of God himself, Jesus Christ, telling John what to tell them. He gave them a lot of good, outstanding reports. He said, you, he said you, 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 you don't have false doctrine. And uh, he told them a whole lot of things. And really, if you looked at it from the outside perspective, it really looked like that that church had it going. The standard was right. Their doctrine was right. They sung the right songs. They had the right programs. But God said, I'm not happy with you. Because you're mechanical. You know what needs to happen to us at this apostolic doctrine and holiness conference? Something needs to explode in our heart and take us back to that first love. Woo! Where you just can't wait to prayer time. And you cry when you read the word of God. And when the preachers are preaching, you feel the same unction and the same burden he's got. If there's anything that's missing in the holiness ranks, I'm telling you that's what it is, brothers and sisters. We lack our dimension of true love for what we're doing. May be seated. Please don't think I'm trying to be ugly tonight. I'm only preaching my heart. I looked across this congregation and I have preached this. I have preached uh, these kinds of things to our church at home. I am, whenever we first went there and uh, there was all kinds of immorality and television and jewelry and all of that. And, and, and I couldn't get anybody to lift their hands to worship the Lord. But if the ones that did, you know, it was kind of a half mass kind of thing. You know, at least they were doing it. They felt a little comfortable. But you know what I'm seeing? Even in holiness churches. Men and women are not lifting their hands all the way anymore. Might mess up their dress. Might make their shirt tail come out. What's wrong with getting your hands as far as they can go up? Now I'm not saying it's not that it's a sin if you don't put your hands all the way up. But I'm asking you, how much do you love this apostolic Holy Ghost move of the Spirit? How much do you desire it? How much of it do you want? 
may be seated. We see it in our prayer meetings. Well, we have to encourage people. Come on now, lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice. Men are praying like women. Women are whispering. And children are just tearing up Jack. Because we are mechanical. We think that just because we mouth a prayer and walk back and forth that we've done our duty. What happened to somebody groaning in the spirit? Saying, oh God, move in this service tonight. Oh God, what's wrong with praying in the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. May be seated. How long has it been since you sung those songs and you really thought about what you were singing? Now we have lots of new methods, and I don't and I'm I'm not saying that all of them's bad. I can sing off of an overhead projector just as good as I can out of a songbook. Well, that didn't go over too good. And I'm not saying that because I'm promoting that or promoting one thing or the other. I'm just saying that I can sing anywhere. I've been, I've been all kind of places, and I've felt God, and I've, I've looked up at the projectors, and I didn't know the words, and it's a whole lot better to know the words and not know the words. But you know what? We can read the words, and we can give a half-hearted praise. We can sing about years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was And not even know what we're singing They started singing that this past Sunday morning And, I, and it did something to me I don't know if it's because I'm going to be preaching here tonight Or maybe it was something that I had to work on me Elder Young But, but I, 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 just, I started weeping when they started singing about the cross I said God don't ever let me sing about your cross And not feel some tender emotion about it Oh, Jesus, I'm telling you that you can lose it by just losing your compassion and your driving zeal and desire for God. That's how apostasy starts. Maybe seated. So we look about all of this stuff and we get seeing it. I'm hurrying. Second church was Smyrna. Allowed for compromise. Ignored the hypocrites. Allowed them to remain in the church. You better thank God you've got a pastor that's got the guts to throw the hypocrite out. Say, well, I think we ought to have some compassion. I do have compassion. Either repent and get your heart right or go find you another church. I'm doing them a favor. I'm not going to let them sit on the pew and go to hell and take their family to hell. I want to let them know this is serious business. How could they, you may be seated, how could they let all this in? Because it started with their lack of zeal. Their lack of heartfelt love for the truth. And when you really lose your love for the truth, then hypocrisy is not a big deal anymore. 
hypocrites and reprobates and you know, little folks standing around. Well, that ain't a big deal. Then it moves on to Pergamos. They held in their midst those who held the doctrine of Balaam. Those who ascribed to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and allowed them to be a part of their leadership. I'm going to tell you, it does make a difference what doctrine you believe. Praise God. Well, it does. It does. I feel a little resistance, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. How did all this false doctrine get in the apostolic church? It started because we didn't love the truth with all of our heart. And we started making allowances for false doctrine. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter if we washed feet anymore or not. It didn't matter if we took communion anymore or not. It didn't matter if they didn't believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, rapturing his church. How did all this false doctrine get in? It's a spirit of evolutionary apostasy. Apostasy is incremental. You may be seated. False doctrine and things that come in to rob a church of its power and of its glory. Doesn't just come in and say, ta-da, I'm false doctrine. Hey. No, it slips in. Makes you feel sorry for them. Don't feel sorry for someone that's ascribed to false doctrine. They're taking people to hell. Feel sorry for the people they're duping. Well, that's not about right. That's totally right. From Ephesians to Smyrna to Pergamos, then to Thyatira. Praise God. You may be seated. You may say, well, I just don't see why we got to make a big deal out about all this, you know, because, you know, they are our brother. And, you know, we do have a lot of things in common. But, you know, there's something, I'm going to tell you, there's some things that are heaven and hell. And if you look over them, it ain't long until you're in Thyatira. And that old Jezebel, that old harlot, is teaching in your pulpit. Because, brother, if doctrine doesn't mean everything, it don't mean anything. Does anybody believe what I'm saying? How did they get to Roman Catholicism? You may be seated. That's the million-dollar question. How did they get that far? One step at a time. That's how they got there. One compromise at a time. It all traces back to a lack of love for the truth. Then Sardis. So what now? It seemed like they've got, they allowed, in Thyatira, they allowed immorality and spiritual adultery to be committed. And can I tell you that where there is spiritual adultery, there is physical adultery. Because before it ever happens in the flesh, it happens in the spirit. That's why an old whore can walk in your church and you've got a lust bucket or a stud bucket that thinks he's God's gift to women. He'll meet her before the service is over because it's already connected in the spirit before they ever talk to one another. I've watched it happen with amazing accuracy. You may be seated. And then you got Sardis. 
appear to be physically alive, but they were dead spiritually. They did all the right things, but God wasn't there. In the last few years, I've been a few places where I've seen a lot of jumping, and I've seen a lot of running, and I've seen a lot of screaming. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. Please don't judge me harshly. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck tonight. I'm only telling you what I've observed. And I stood back behind him. I said, God, where are you at? God, where are you at? I haven't felt you in the last 30 minutes. But boy, they're jumping and a-juking and a-jiving with a song. And I'm not preaching against that. I'm just telling you, just because you jump don't mean that's Jesus. Elvis jerked, but he didn't have the Holy Ghost. Sardis. Sardis. They appeared live, but they were physically, but they were dead spiritually. They looked alive because of their rituals. They did all the right things. They did all the right motions. Is it possible? I'm not saying it's just possible. I'm saying that it is happening. That the apostolic church can look good and be dead. Nobody praying through. Nobody repenting. No tears of repentance. But we sing the right songs. We jump the right way. You may be seated. Somebody said, well, you're preaching mighty negative. I'm preaching for the next generation. If they don't see the real, then how will they ever know? I'm looking beyond the present. Philadelphia. This was a message that I think all of us can take comfort in because in the middle of all of the apostasy, God has a remnant. There's a real church in the midst of it all. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord's going to make it. But I'm telling you that there always has been a church. I said there's always has been a church. Martin Luther wasn't a part of it. The church didn't evolve to truth. But there's always been somebody baptized in Jesus' name. Speaking in tongues. Full of the Holy Ghost. Living a one God apostolic holiness lifestyle. We got history books now that can prove it. You may be seated. Brother Chalfitz wrote extensively on it. There's been other books that I have read. The way called heresy gives a timeline on the back that shows it all throughout the history that there have been people that have been baptized in Jesus' name. People that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. Now there's some bookstores that won't carry that, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. Martin Luther wasn't saved because he didn't have the full truth. Some of you getting offended by all of that? Bible said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Except a man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot, cannot, cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Martin Luther didn't have the Holy Ghost. And he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. Maybe seated. We didn't evolve from Catholicism. Catholicism came from us. 
Catholicism is an apostate apostolic system. Did you hear me? Catholicism is an apostate apostolic system. Praise God. You say, well, why don't people write about that? Well, the other day I grabbed a hold of something and was studying. There was a man back during the time of the uh, War of 1812 and back during the War of Independence. His name was Sam, Simon Gurdy. Simon Gurdy is known in the American history books as the White Savage. And, uh, but now the Brits and the Canadians call him a national hero. And I wondered about all of that. Actually, what happened was the Indians conquered one of the forts, took him in, raised him for several years. And then because of the treaty, the Indians were forced to give him back when he was a late teenager. And uh, as the book says, he had a foot in both worlds and was a citizen of neither. That's what happens to compromisers. They got their foot in two worlds, but they're not a part of either one of them. They said this man would torture Americans, dip tire and burn them alive while they scream for mercy. And in this book, they said the Canadians and the Brits declared him to be a national hero. But the Americans call him the white savage. And he is noted by all time and all throughout Americas as the white savage because they said the one who wins is the one who writes history. Praise God. I'm going to tell you that God wants this church to write some history. We're not going to lose. We're not backing up. We're not capitulating. We're not rising and hosting, hoisting up the white surrender flag. It's do or die. Let's worship the Lord together. Help me, Jesus. Praise God. I'm going back to the, uh, to the book of Revelation. The last total spiritual apostasy is Laodicea. Blind, naked, poor, spiritually destitute. Thought they were rich, and they were poor. Thought they were dressed, and they were naked. They were totally deceived. They were reprobate. Or as the medical world would say, they were sociopaths or psychopaths. The Bible word for that is reprobate. They are reprobate. They think they're all right when they're not. And that's what happens to people who play with this wonderful truth and they fall out of love with it and start falling in love with themselves. I said it at home Sunday. I'm going to say it again tonight. People that backslide and walk out on God, they don't love God. I've heard people say, well, they love God. They just got problems. They don't love God. They love themselves. If they love God, they would keep His commandments. Now, is God's word true or not? I said, is God's word true or not? 
If they walk out on God, they don't love him. They don't love him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You may be seated. Help us, Jesus. Something I wanted to read to you. It's a letter from Dr. Vernon Chom, Major General of the United States Air Force, retired general, Major General. And he asked questions because America's in at war, whether you know it or not. And thank God that the terrorism is in Iraq and not on the streets of America's cities. Regardless of what you feel about all of that, I'm glad it's over there, not here. He asked two questions. He said that really come to the forefront. Number one, can we lose this war? And number two, what does losing really mean? If we are to win, we must clearly answer these two pivotal questions. If the church of the living God is going to march on into the next generation, we are going to have to look ourselves in the mirror and ask some hard questions. Can we lose it? And what are the ramifications if we do? This is what he said concerning the war in Iraq. It was written in 2005. We definitely can lose this war. And as anonymous as it may sound, the major reason we can lose is that so many of us simply do not fathom the answer to the second question. And that is, what does losing mean? It would appear that a great many of us think that losing the war means hanging our heads, bringing the troops home, going about our business like post-Vietnam. This is as far from the truth as one can get. What losing really means is we would no longer be the premier country in the world. The attacks would not subside, but rather steadily increase. Remember, they want us dead, not just quiet. If they wanted us just quiet, they would have not produced an increasing series of attacks against us over the past 18 years. The plan was clearly for terrorists to attack us until we were neutered and submissive to them. We would, of course, have no future support from other nations for fear of reprisals and for the reason that they would see that we are impotent and cannot help them. They will pick off the other non-Muslim nations one at a time. They will be ever increasingly easier for them. They already hold Spain hostage. It doesn't matter whether it was right or wrong for Spain to withdraw its troops from Iraq. Spain did not did it because of the Muslim terrorists bombed their train and told them to withdraw the troops. Anything else they want Spain to do will be done. Spain is finished. He also says if we lose the war, our production, our production, our income, exports, and our way of life would vanish as we know it. Because after losing, who would trade or deal with us if they were threatened by the Muslims? If we couldn't stop them, how could we stop anybody else? Then he said, until we recognize the cost of losing, we cannot unite and really put 100% of our thoughts and efforts into winning. And it's going to take 100% effort to win. We can lose the war by imploding, that is defeating ourselves by refusing to recognize the enemy and their purpose. And really digging in and lending full support to the war effort. If we are united, there is no way we can lose. If we continue to be divided, there is no way we can win. I'm telling you tonight that we have got to be united in this gospel. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about if you love this truth, stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody else that loves this truth. 
You're not going to win the charismatics uh, by trying to conference with them. By trying to mediate and negotiate with them. Remember, they think we're cultish. They want us out of the picture. We are a threat to them. You better believe in hell. We're a threat to you. And we refuse to sit down. We refuse to shut up. And we will not give up. Am I preaching to somebody that feels that way about it? Oh, let's worship the Lord. Let's magnify Him. Oh, Jesus. Jesus' name. Be seated. Can I take just a few more minutes? One writer said it this way concerning the 1945 blasting of the atomic bomb. After a few minutes, I saw something coming up the road along the river that looked like a parade of roast chickens. Some of them kept asking, water, water. They were all naked. They were all skinned. Their skin on their hands had been torn away at the wrist. It was just hanging from their fingertips just beyond, behind the nails, turned inside out like a glove. In the dim light, I thought I saw many other children lying about the yard. He said, another one said it this way, uh, as I watched two things that looked like great big hideous lizards crawled in slowly, making croaking and groaning sounds. Others followed. I was paralyzed with horror for minutes. Then the light got a little stronger, and I could see that they were human beings, skinned alive by fire or heat. Their bodies all smashed where they had been thrown against something very hard. And then another writer concerning the 1952 dropping of the napalm bomb said in front of us a curious figure was standing, a little crouched, legs straddled, arms held out from his sides. He had no eyes and the whole of his body, nearly all of which was visible through tatters of burnt rags, was covered with a hard black crust speckled with yellow pus. A Korean woman by his side began to speak and the interpreter said, He has to stand. He cannot sit or lie. He has to stand because he was no longer covered with a skin, but with a crust-like crackling which broke easily. I am talking to you tonight about how much it costs to lose. Let me tell you, the devil would like to make you say, Oh, just quit fighting. Give up on that holding the standard. Don't make Acts 2.38 so strong and so hard. But I'm telling you that when the devil gets through with you and your soul, you are a big wad of human debris. He won't quit until he charged your soul in a red hot hell. Praise God. That's why I preach the way I preach. That's why I believe it's do or die. I'm not giving in to that old dirty devil. No way. No way. No way. Because I know what he'll do to humanity. He'll make perverts out of our kids. He'll make drug addicts out of our kids. He'll make prisoners out of our next generation. I'm preaching for the next generation tonight. Everybody said in Jesus' name. He may be seated. I could continue on. I could talk to you about the horrors of the Bataan Death March. I've got some 
some writings about all of that. It was said by those that surrendered that they said that they were in, they, they didn't really realize it, that uh, they, they realized that, that the Americans weren't going to come and they figured that if they would just surrender and be at the, at the mercy of the Japanese, that it wouldn't be as bad as starving in that prison camp. Are you listening to me now? I'm preaching about the next generation. I'm looking beyond the present. The present says it's a warfare. I'm tired. I'm weary. Can I, I, I don't want you to raise your hands, but there's many of you sitting here tonight. You probably said, I'm so tired of fighting. Every time I go to church, it's another battle. Every time I go around my family, it's another war. Maybe if I just relaxed a little bit and give up a little bit, maybe I could have a little reprieve. I want to preach to you tonight and tell you the devil doesn't bargain right. The devil is a pervert. And so those men came with the white surrender flag. You may be seated. Laid down their, laid down their guns. And uh, the Japanese realized they couldn't house them all. And so they put them on the march. I've got a book at home that I've read. It's called Give Us This Day. And out of that many thousand, I, I, I don't, I've got it written here somewhere. I don't have time to locate it in the notes. I'm thinking somewhere around in upwards of 40,000, maybe not somewhere in, in that area, that the ones that survived the death march and finally got to come home numbered less than 100. And some of them were so sick that it took months for them to gain strength. It is said that the Japanese would march them And I'm not trying to preach against Japanese people But I'm going to tell you about the atrocities of war And we are in a spiritual war tonight Are you understanding what I'm saying? And they would walk and they would march And they were so thirsty And they would see water And a man would lean over to get a drink of water And they would take the sword and decapitate him Men would drop out and they would march over top, were commanded to march over top of them and trample them to death. Men were falling after days of marching without water, without food. I'm telling you, that's what the devil will do if you surrender and capitulate and back up. He'll just keep pushing you and pushing you until you go to hell. Maybe seated. Because waving the surrender flag and saying, well, it'll be all right. The terms of surrender be... That's not, how he, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. What does that have to do with spiritual things? Samson laid his head in Delilah's lap. One too many times. He probably... He said, his soul was vexed. My, my reason was, why are you going there, Samson? But he kept going there until they got his eyes. And the Bible said that he ground in the prison house. And you know, if we stopped it there, as a sightless, visionless man grinding at the prison house, 
We'd say that was rough for a man that had so many victories. I'm telling you, this is not the time for victorious one God apostolics to capitulate and give up. Don't go lay your head in the lap of compromise. It'd been bad enough, Elder Young, for him to grind for the enemy, sightless, as an animal. I don't believe it was the only time, but the scripture declares that when it come time for a feast to their gods, they said, call Samson that we may make sport of him. I want to be careful here. But Samson knew what that meant. And you get to thinking, why would he want to die with that building coming down on him? Because he knew that when the Philistines got through making sport of him, he'd rather Humiliating. Some have suggested that there were all kinds of immoral activity. They would tie him up and laugh at him and get their jollies from him. And Samson said, no. Uh-uh. I'm telling you, that's what the devil wants to do with people that will back up, let up, and compromise. It's first the video and then it's the television. And then you're watching program on the internet. And pornography walks in. The devil won't quit until he abuses you. Until he makes a fool out of you. Steals your family. Steals your virtue. Robs your soul. Be seated. And Samson said, God... One more time. I don't have my eyes. And I know I haven't been what I should have been. But God, don't let me die like they're going to die. Don't let me die my last moments of life with what they have planned for me. I got to get to a close. Oh, Jesus. Time would not permit me to tell the stories of folks that have sold out preachers that have sold out that once believed this Acts 2.38 holiness message. And you look at them now. Cocaine addicts. Marriage after marriage failing making pure fools out of themselves because they thought that it, it was too tough to fight and they could just give up a little bit on that holiness, on that jewelry, on that immorality, on that makeup, on that cut hair for women. It starts so small, but the devil is relentless. But I'm telling you, I'd rather die in a pulpit with a heart attack, preaching it with all my heart, than to back up one inch. 
I want to be careful in how I say this, but it hasn't been long ago that I looked at the individual that I love very dearly in the face. And I said, I have kissed loved ones goodbye for this truth. And I'll kiss you goodbye if I have to. But I will not give up this one God, Jesus name, apostolic, Holy Ghost, holding this truth. If I stand alone, I'll stand alone, but I'll die fighting. May be seated. Now I know that could be misread, that I'm a hateful, ugly human being. But that's far from the case. Because those stands, Elder Dudley, I take, I'm looking beyond the present. I want my kids and my grandkids to know what a real apostolic church is. Several years ago, I uh, was going to fly out of airplane out, out at an airport, and I was driving in a particular part of the country, and, and I saw an apostolic church that was recently built. It was beautiful. I thought, you know, I'd like to go in and see it and take some pictures, get some ideas for the new building and things, and so I went in, and the old elder was there. The old elder used to stand strong on things of holiness. And, uh, and I went in and they introduced and talked to him a little bit and asked me how things were. I remember how it was years ago, the stories I heard. And, and I said, you know, I said, we went there and preached the television and the jewelry and the makeup and the immorality out and God sent revival. And I watched that elder. Get that far away look in his eye. Elder McMullen and I went home for days. I saw that far away look in his eye. I said, oh God, I'd rather die than for all the beauty and all the power and all the anointing to only be a memory. Out of all the things in the old and the New Testament that Paul warned Timothy about the last days, the thing that scares me the most is having a form of godliness. But denying the power. That's talking about us. <laughs> That's talking about us. Oh, God. Somewhere, somewhere in this hall, somewhere there are hearts that the devil has bombarded you and you are weary with your journey. You have fought and fought and fought and fought and you almost feel like you can't stand. One man said it this way, you cannot choose your battlefield. God does that for you. But you can plan a standard 
where a standard never flew. Elder Murray Burr said this, when the truth ceases to be everything, it ceases to be anything. John Wesley said, I do not fear that Methodism and the people called Methodists will ever cease to exist, but I do fear that in existing they will become a dead sect, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. If Methodism is ever overthrown, it will be at the hands of our scholars and theologians who neither believe her doctrines nor practice her policy. It is from this, these men that it must cleanse itself or fall by its own weight. And so... In 2006, the burden of my soul to this conference, I don't claim this to be a wonderful message. It is the musings and the heartbeat of an old country preacher that has a burden for this good apostolic message as it was handed to me to be given in better shape to the next generation. I'm not saying or littling those who came before, but I was always taught that if I ever borrowed something, my dear dad always taught me, if you ever borrow something, take it back better than you found it. If I borrowed his truck, I took it back washed with more gas in it than what in there. If I couldn't fill it up, I at least had more gas in it than what I borrowed it. Vacuum it out. Clean it up. Because I appreciated the use of it. This message was handed to me. It was beautiful. Woke up on pews hearing mom and dad and saints pray to one, two o'clock in the morning after Sunday night. They had to work the next day. They prayed. They shouted. They worshiped God. They loved it. I woke up as a little boy, hearing my mom and dad wailing and moaning and speaking in tongues in the back room, seeking God. It was beautiful. I want to give it to the generation that follows behind me in better shape. I want them to see what I've seen and feel what I feel. But more than that, I want them to love what I love. Shall we stand, please? To the young people, those that are 25 and younger, perhaps 20 and younger, I don't know where the generation ends and begins, but in that age group, can I make an appeal from my heart to you? Please, please love this. So that when I get old and I can't preach, and they roll my wheelchair down the aisle, please let me feel what you felt when I preached to you. Let me see the worship that you've seen in your lifestyle. I preach to you, don't throw the flag down. Don't give up. Because giving up is much worse than dying in the fight. Because all the devil wants to do is humiliate you. 
He'd like to turn every young man into a pervert, into a queer, and every girl into a whore. He'd like to bust up every marriage. He'd like to shut the mouth of every preacher to where they'd be nothing but political and nothing but socialites. I plead to you from my heart. I know this is a different conference and I know you believe holiness and the doctrine, but I also know you're as human as everybody else. Please, for the sake of the next generation, fight, stand, be counted, and look beyond your present turmoil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where in spiritual evolution are you at? Are you in Laodicea? Are you in Ephesus? Does this mean to you what it used to? I've caught myself many nights on a young hugging my Bible, rocking, saying, Jesus, I love your word. Jesus, I love your word. Because I know that the next generation won't love it any more than I do. I found myself when others preaching on the platform. Tears trickling, I hit my knees and lay on my face and say, God, I love your word. They won't love it any more than I do. And so at this apostolic doctrine and holiness conference, can you look beyond the present? Can you forget about success for a little while? And can you think about what it cost the next generation? And then would you fight to hold it high? I reach for young people. But I also reach for parents who have let down and let their kids do things that you know are not right. It will hurt them beyond what you could ever conceive in your mind. I believe the Holy Ghost calls for us to pray. I believe the Holy Ghost calls for us to fight on, to stand, to be strong. Look beyond the present. Hold on for the next generation. In Jesus' name.